But uh, if I haven't said it yet, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's good to see everyone here. How was everyone's holidays? Filling. Lots of calories. That's why we go to the gym. Right? That's it. So if you, if you have a New Year's resolution to not eat as many calories or to deal with all the calories you ate, go talk to Tyler and he'll get you set up. And if you don't like Tyler, talk to Brittany because everyone knows... <laughs> Everyone knows that if you don't like the man, everyone likes the wife. Most people like me because of my wife. So it's just the way it is. And I'm okay with that sometimes. But so good to have you here. So good to laugh. So good to join together. And we're going we're gonna to do something a little bit, mostly I'm going to say it's different. It's not really that different. But uh, at one point during my talk this morning, you're going to go, Gary, are we ever going to open the Bible? And my answer to you is yes. <laughs> So hang with me for a few minutes and we'll get there. But 2020, I couldn't resist chat. I put a little slideshow together this morning, a few, a few pictures to throw up there. Um, not pictures of throw up, but just some pictures. There you go. Uh, 2020 vision. I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist the theme because it's the year 2020. And in the next few weeks, months, uh, we as leadership and as a church, we're, we're setting out a long-term vision. But we know that to start, um, we have to have some sort of vision for ourselves. Now, we could take this year and look back because hindsight is, some of you know that, okay? So in case you don't know, hindsight is, is 2020. Things are so much clearer once you've already gone through them, right? It's easy to see the future that was yesterday, right? Uh, so for example, this, this past week, I was invited to go out on a, on a snow machine, which is a really good invitation. If you want to win your pastor over and you want him to do something for you, take him out on a sled and we'll have fun. And I'm just kidding, of course. But I, I went out with Dan and we, we, we drove out and we got all the sleds off the trailer. And just as I put the helmet on, I went to go put my glasses on and I snapped my glasses literally in half. I have never broken a pair of glasses to the point I couldn't wear them. And so we're sitting there and I go, well, I could just sit here and you could go. And we're like, well, that's not very fun. So he's like, well, here, since the sleds are off, why don't you just jump in the truck, drive home and get your spare pair? And I said, think about that for a minute, Dan. I said, I could try if you really want me to. So he's like, right. So he did it gracefully, grace gracefully he went and uh, was so kind to me and I got to get my spare pair of glasses. Now, um, these glasses are also broken and the nose piece is broken and so the little part where the nose piece clips on was scratching my nose like the whole time. And so when I got home that night, I got the hot glue gun out, which we haven't used in about 100 years. And it, I just put a little bit of glue and I have to tell you, it's worked fabulous. Like. Aside from the glasses being a little bit tighter than this, my big fat head, it's working pretty good. I'm glad that I can see. And, you know, you guys are worth looking at, okay, just so you know. Uh, if you weren't, I'd look at the clock or at Chad the whole time because we know Chad's worth looking at. But, anyways, we're going to get a little bit awkward here if I go on that trail. 
See, Chad hasn't been serving in the back the last few weeks, and so his time is here now. His time has come. But it's so good to literally see each and every one of you, and I'm glad that I can see clearly. I'll never forget the first time I put on a pair of glasses. Uh, the school I went to, I didn't have to look at a blackboard. I just had to look at what was in front of me. And the, optom- the optometrist said to me and my mom, and she says, did you not notice you had a problem? Like, did you not know you couldn't see what you couldn't see? And of course, I had never worn glasses before in my life, so I didn't know what I couldn't see. And so I remember the day where we went down to the optometrist office, and I picked up my brand new glasses, I put them on, and I couldn't stop talking and being excited about everything that I could see. I was like, I could see that sign, and like, everyone can see that sign, Gary. And I said, but I can actually read that sign. I didn't know that was there, and I didn't know the colors were so beautiful and all of these things, because I could finally see clearly. You know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. There's only a few things that you can do when you look back. The only reason to look back is to learn. Because if you don't learn from mistakes, then you're going to make mistakes again. You can only look back to repent, which again is still looking back to learn. And repent simply means this. It means just to turn. I'm going this way, I'm repenting, and I'm turning to the higher things of God. That's what it means. You look back to repent, which equals our salvation And sometimes we have to look back to forgive. That's, I think, one of the hardest ones to do. I can admit that I was wrong. I can admit admit that I need a savior. I can admit that I need help. But when I have to look back and forgive someone who has hurt me, who has broken trust with me, who has harmed me, who has done the unthinkable, when I look back to forgive, that's one of the hardest things I think we can do. But yet, it's one of the most rewarding Because when we look back to forgive, it brings freedom. It releases us from that burden. It helps release us. It helps heal us of the wounds and the pain that we feel. It brings freedom to celebrate, and it brings freedom, and it unlocks the keys for the present, and it unlocks our future so that the vision that we see ahead of us can actually be experienced by us without barriers or without hindrance. Because if we keep holding on to the things of the past, the things of the future will always come back, the things of the past will always come back to the things in the future. And we'll never be able to grow, we'll never be able to take that next step, we'll never be able to move past the things that continually hold us back if we're not willing to forgive and repent and to learn. So with that said, let's move forward this morning. How many here are ready to move forward with their life? How many here are ready to move forward into the next year, the next step that God has? I am. Perfect. Last year was great. I mean, it doesn't mean that there's things that were bad, but I'm ready to continue to push forward. And this is the time of year to do that. Have I prayed yet? Yes or no? Just... Let's just pray again, because I feel this is a good time to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for the freedom that you give us, the salvation that you give us. Lord, I thank you for the hope that we have for today and the hope that we have for tomorrow. Holy Spirit, as we go through these uh, few things this morning, I pray that you would protect our hearts, that you would open our hearts, you'd open our minds. Let us receive from you, let us receive from your words, so that we would know clearly, O God, the direction that you have set for our lives. I thank you in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, there's different kinds of vision that you can experience in the Bible. For example, we can, we can learn the kind of vision. This is probably the most likely one we're talking about this morning. Uh, a very common verse if you want to give someone the warm fuzzy feelings inside. Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the plans I have for you 
plans to prosper and, and so on and so forth. Jeremiah 29, 11. He's got plans for you. God has a vision for your life. Uh, of course, we know Proverbs 29, 18. Without vision, the people perish. Without vision, without direction, you just like a wandering and then death. Uh, we see that Paul has a physical vision, a dream, uh, in Acts 18, 9 to 10. And you can read through that another time, Acts 18, 9 to 10. Paul has a vision. It's a dream of assurance that God will protect him. God will take care of him. God is present with him. Uh, you could get into some of the weird, crazy, cool kind of visions, and you could read through the book of Daniel. And you see Daniel chapter 7, 13, and 14. You see Daniel get a supernatural vision of things to come, of events that are going to be imminent and events that are going to happen thousands of years later. And some of those things have happened, and some of those things we're still waiting for today. A supernatural, crazy, God-given vision. Uh, Habakkuk 2, 2 to 3 gives us some very important information about a vision. And it suggests that when God gives us a word, when God shows us something, when we learn something about us for the future, Habakkuk 2 tells us to write down the vision. This one is probably one of the most important things you can pick up today. Because I believe that as we go through this, as we enter into this week, as we enter into this season, God is going to reveal some new things to you. He's going to reveal some old dreams that you might have had, and he's going to do something incredible, incredible with you and through you and through our church in this coming year, if we're willing, if we have the courage to follow through. But if we don't write it down, how will we remember? Writing things down is important because when the enemy comes, he's going to try to distract us. He's going to tell us lies and he's going to say to you, God didn't really say that or that's not really what God meant. He's going to come in. He's going to start to steal away the joy that you had. He's going to start to take away all those wonderful things that God said about you and said to you. So write down the vision. Write down what God says to you. Finally, we could keep going all day with these references, but Acts 9 to 10, sorry, 9, 10 to 12, we see Ananias, he gets a vision from God to go visit Paul. Now, Paul has just had an incredible experience with Jesus. He's on the road to Damascus. He's riding his horse. He's on a mission. He's got his own man-made vision to go and kill those who are a threat to him and his religion. And as he goes... He's riding, he sees a bright light, he's thrown off of his horse, and he has an incredible moment with the presence of Jesus. And a voice from heaven says to him, Paul, why do you persecute me? And he's blinded. And he gets taken back, and, and he's resting, he's confused, He just had this incredible moment. He needs some information. And God sends Ananias a vision. And he says, Ananias, I need you to go to Paul. I need you to go meet with Paul and tell him the good news of Jesus. Uh, and then Ananias sort of wakes up and he says, but God, Paul's the kind of guy that wants to kill me. Paul is not the kind of guy that's for you. And, and yet Ananias, in, in his own uncertainty, hears a vision from God and he, he hears that voice and he follows God in obedience. And he goes to Paul's house and he meets with Paul. He prays for Paul and suddenly Paul can see again. And it begins an amazing journey where you just imagine if Ananias had been disobedient to God, if he didn't follow through with what God said, Paul, who has written most of our New Testament, Paul, who has ministered and planted hundreds of churches and, and seen thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ, 
would have never had that opportunity had Ananias not followed through. So just because God gives you a word for somebody and maybe you hesitate, maybe you don't share it with them, you don't know the outcome. You don't always know the outcome of what God is calling you to do, but he's calling us to be obedient with the vision that he's given us. So if God has encouraged you to go to someone, to call someone, to write someone, don't hesitate. Just go. Go and share with them what God has laid on your heart. Does that sound okay? If you don't remember anything else, just remember that this morning. That's a lot of information for you. December 17th, 1903 at 1035. Does anyone know why this date is significant? December 17th, 1903. Maybe once I say the name Orville Wright. Does anyone have any idea? He made his mark on history by executing the first powered and sustained flight from level ground, a.k.a. the first airplane ride ever. Now, as an aviation enthusiast, I find that fascinating. I find that exciting. For, twen- for 20, for 12 gratifying ground gravity defined seconds he flew 120 feet along the dunes of the outer banks of North Carolina in the field of aviation this historic event represents simply a beginning simply the beginning uh, of a, of an industry that would revolutionize the world did you know that at the time the 747 was the biggest plane that had ever been built the Wright Brothers flyer could have flown inside of that plane because of how short the flight was and how small the original airplane was. But what was the beginning of a revolution was the end for the Wright Brothers. It was, it was the end of a long and tedious journey, a journey imitated by a dream of the desire to fly. More than that, they believed that they should fly. This is how he described it himself. And I'm going to read it so, because I didn't memorize his words. This is how Wilbur Wright, his brother, described it. He says, our personal interest in aviation dates from our childhood days. That's an important key there. You know, we just sent a bunch of kids down to kids' church this morning. Did you know that God gives vision to our kids at a young age? Think about David in in, in the fields Young boy, he's anointed to be king, and he's still a little shepherd boy. God gives us vision even to our kids. He gives them this personal interest from our childhood days. Late in the autumn of 1878, our father came into the house one evening with some objects partly concealed in his hands. Before we could see what it was, he tossed it up into the air. And instead of falling to the floor as we expected, it flew across the room till it struck the ceiling where it fluttered a while. And it finally sank to the floor. It was a little toy known only to scientists as a helicopter, but which, but which we, with sublime disregard for science, at once dubbed it a bat. It's funny how something foreign to us, we try to compare it to something familiar. An airplane is very different from a bat, other than the fact that they both fly, but mind of a child. It was a light frame of cork and bamboo covered with paper, which formed two screws driven in the opposite direction by rubber bands under tension. A toy so delicate lasted only a short time in the hands of small boys, but its memory was abiding. You know, I just pause and I put in my notes here, how many of us have ever tried to fly and we hit the ceiling? 
And of course, I'm not saying literal try to fly. If you literally try to fly, I have a counselor that I'll refer you to. But has there ever been a moment in your life where you've tried to do something and it's just like you hit a wall, you hit the glass ceiling. You know, I, I never understood what a glass ceiling was until you hit it. Glass ceiling is, is a barrier that's there that you don't see. It's an obstacle there that you don't see. Sometimes we, we can come up with the best plan, the best ideas, and, and all this and that, and we, we just hit that glass ceiling. We hit the limitations. We hit the barriers. The childhood experience in these boys was an unshakable desire to fly. The only thing that they lacked was simply a means. So they immediately went to work removing the barriers and the obstacles that, that stood between them and their dream. They began investing and inventing, building their own helicopters, and in doing so, they stumbled upon the principles of physics that would later allow them to physically fly. It paved the way for their successful manned flight. In short, they began to engineer their vision. They began to engineer the vision. The process, this process captured the, es the essence of engineering a new vision. And I like what Andy Stanley says. He's a pastor from Atlanta, Georgia. He's sort of famous among the church world. He calls it visioneering. He even wrote a book called Visioneering. And he laid out a number of steps, and, and, and visioneering is simply engineering the vision. There's first the inspiration, the young boys with their little helicopter. They're inspired to fly. Here they are. They're inspired. The next one is convict, conviction. They're convicted that they have to find a way to make it happen. They have this deep inner conviction. They want to fly. The second part is action. They put their hands to work. They begin to find a way to, to deal with their inspiration and their conviction. They begin to get to work. And then they don't give up determination. They don't stop. They work and they work and they work. They don't stop. They don't give up. And finally, they get to the point of completion. They finally succeed at their vision and their goal. Engineering vision is the course one follows to make a dream a reality. I, 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 every time I say that line, and I've, I've read, wrote it down this week, there's a little song that plays in my head from Walt Disney World, from Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress. And, and he always had this vision for the future. He was a dreamer. You know, he wanted to see things happen. He wanted to improve the lives of people. He wanted to not just improve the entertainment of people, but he wanted to improve the lives of people. And he had a love for technology and a love for advancement. And there's a ride that he built. It's a moving theater around the show, around the stage, called the Carousel of Progress. And it's, you know, it's a nice little song. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow. Tomorrow is just a dream away. Man has a dream right from the start. He follows his dream with mind and heart. And when it becomes a reality, it's a dream come true for you and me. And then repeat. I knew all the words. That's pretty good. I may have been on it a few times. But it captures the essence of having a vision and having a dream and bringing it to completion, making it a reality. Inspired to fly, inspired to know God, conviction for the lost, taking action to make sure no one is left behind, determined that nothing will stop us until the point of completion where we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, all wrapped up in this tiny little bow for you. Let's love to completion. Let's love till our destination. 
I believe God's got a dream for your life. I've got, he's got a place that he wants us to go. He wants you to go. It's called a destination. I think there's a slide that just says destination up there. I'll, nothing fancy other than destination. Everyone ends up somewhere. A few people end up somewhere on purpose. Those are the ones with vision. And, you know, there's, there's so many moving parts to life. There's so many different faucets and, and areas of life. There's so many moving parts, which means that our vision ends up having a lot of moving parts. And whether you're aware of it or not, you have multiple visions for your life. Multiple visions for your finances, multiple visions for your family, multiple visions for your marriage, multiple visions for your career, and so on and so forth. And, and sometimes they all sort of come together in one big picture. But this means you have a mental picture of what you want your, what, what you want your life, not your wife, what you want your life to look forward down the road. Perhaps you would like to be somewhere professionally. Perhaps you'd like to, you know, get a promotion and not just stay at the same job you've been, but you want to move up. Maybe you want to be somewhere else financially. Maybe you want to be somewhere else skillfully and you want to fill your head with more knowledge and more this and more that. And if you were to ask someone where you want to be in 10 years and if they have something, then you have to ask the follow-up question, how are you going to get there? They have to have destination. You have to be able to look beyond of what is, paint a picture of what could be. Look beyond of what is and paint a picture of what could be. And in some cases, and in many cases, and I think what we'll find in the case with our own church, is even to determine what should be. You know, there's a hundred million different things that we can do in this world. There's a hundred million different things we could do as a church. But we need to hear from God and say, what, this is what is, God, what is what should be. Not just what could be, what, what should be. What should be true of your life? That's vision. A clear vision, and this is key, along with the courage to follow through, dramatically increases your chance of coming to the end, looking back with deep satisfaction and thinking, I did it, I succeeded, I finished well, my life counted. My life mattered, my life made a difference. Without a vision, odds are you'll come to your life, the end of your life, and wonder, and wonder, and wonder. Wonder what could have been, wonder what, what should have been, wonder what could have been different, and you'll wonder if your life really mattered at all. Now, I know that every person is born with purpose. I know that God has a plan for every single man, woman, and child who has ever breathed air on this earth. For every baby that has been formed in the womb of a mother, God has plan and purpose for that child. So if you get to the end of your life and you go, did my life really matter? Maybe not to you, maybe not to anybody else, but to God, it mattered. And I say this sentence to tell you this. No matter how far along you are in life, your life still matters. And as long as you're breathing air on this earth, it's never too late. It's never too late. So don't listen to the rest of the message saying it doesn't apply to me because it's never too late for you. Vision gives significance to an otherwise meaningless details of our lives, and we'll get to this in details in a few minutes. But what really doesn't appear to matter too much matters when it's elevated apart for some larger context or purpose. So the mundane things, the little things that don't seem to matter, when you apply them to the bigger picture, you begin to understand their importance. 
Take the mundane of this day, add it to the God-oriented vision, stir it around in the cauldron into the big pot with everything else, and suddenly you find the purpose, which means you get the energy, and which means you find the meaning in the little tasks before you. Look at it this way, and we're going to get the same example a little bit. You can stand there, and you can fill a sandbag with dirt or with sand, and you think it's dirty, it's hard work, it sucks. But when you stand back and you look at the fact that you just saved a city, a home, a neighborhood from a flood because you took the time to fill a sandbag, suddenly there's energy, suddenly there's purpose, and suddenly there's meaning to what you're doing. There's hope behind the vision. Too many times the routines of life begin to feel like shoveling dirt. How many have ever had to shovel dirt before? And I'm not talking physically. There's times in life it feels like we're shoveling dirt. Take those same routines, the same responsibilities, and view them through the lens of vision, and everything begins to look different. Vision brings the world into focus. Vision brings order to chaos. And a clear vision enables you to see things differently. Now, as you stand there in that mundane task, and you look ahead, and you go, this is accomplishing nothing. If you're just taking, I saw this incredible video the other day, two guys standing around, pile of dirt, wheelbarrow, man with shovel, man at wheelbarrow. Literally, this is what the video was. Shovel into the wheelbarrow, fill the wheelbarrow, man takes wheelbarrow, dumps it. Like, pile of sand, wheelbarrow, dirt. Not a lot of meaning or purpose. And if there is a purpose to moving that pile of sand, you don't need two guys in a wheelbarrow to do it. So let's look at four things. I've been doing this a lot. Three things, four things, giving you a list the last few messages. Let's look at four things. Specifically, uh, four things that vision weaves into these, these four things that become the fabric of our, of our daily lives. So number one, Chad's going to tell us, Passion. Vision gets us excited. I'm so happy I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm so happy to be at church today. <laughs> Woo! Now, we don't have to be crazy for the sake of being crazy. But no doubt when there's vision, no doubt when there's, when there's vision, there's excitement, there is passion, and there is emotion. There is emotion. You, you just talk to someone who just got engaged. There's excitement and emotion there. If you don't have, if you don't get a little emotional or a little excited or a little passionate about it, you, you probably need a bigger vision. Now, not all of us express excitement and emotion the same way. So I'm not telling you you have to be jumping up and down, hooting and hollering and this and that. Maybe your expression is, I'm so excited right now. I'm so excited. And maybe you really are. And some people express themselves that way and I don't understand those people. I don't connect well, it's hard. But it invokes passion and emotion. Then, and in those moments, in that excitement, you know, you begin to daydream. And daydreaming is so cool when it relates to the vision. 
Daydreaming is so cool when it relates to the plan that you have for your life because daydreaming is like getting an advance on your paycheck and not having to pay it back. You know one thing I can't stand is the commercials, that, I hate commercials in general, but the ones that are like the payday loans. Like it sounds so good, but you gotta pay like a ton of money back. Don't, if you, please don't ever go to those places. If you're desperate, we'll find another way. Don't ever go to those places because you have to pay it back with interest. However, daydreaming is like getting an advance on your paycheck and not having to pay a cent or dollar back. That's the kind of payday place that I want to go to. Place that just gives you free money. I mean, <laughs> the bank does that, but only if you use someone else's card. You know, okay, here's, I'm going to give you something free. If you, if you, if you walk into a corner store sometime, maybe you walk into Mo and Joe's or in the city, and, and the person working has just had a really tough day, and they're just really bored, or they're just really tired, walk up to the ATM machine, withdraw some money, and then get really excited and say, woohoo, I won. Like, <laughs> People will look at you crazy, but it'll totally bring joy to the person. We did this once. Uh, we were very strategic. We drove to Dryden. It was about 1130 at night. We left Sioux Lookout. It's an hour drive. Drove because there's nothing else to do in Sioux Lookout. What do you do? You drive to Dryden because they had Tim Hortons and 7-Eleven and Domino's Pizza. So what else do you need in life? It's the way it is. We drove to 7-Eleven and, and we needed money because when we buy pizza together, you know, we all put in a few bucks, but whatever. And so my buddy needed money. And so we were at the 7-Eleven and the ATM is sort of behind the counter. The counter is kind of in the middle of the, the, the store. And so we're all buying stuff and uh, we sort of all look at each other and he says, okay. And so he hits the button, the money comes out and he says, woohoo, I won. And so the three of us at the front counter start jumping and hollering that our friend has won the lottery. And everyone in the store just thought it was hilarious and it was just a really good way to bring joy to someone's life. That's just free for you to try out sometime. But passion is a result of vision. Energy and excitement is a result of vision. Clear, focused vision allows us to experience ahead of time the emotion associated with the success of our anticipated future. These emotions serve to reinforce our commitment to the vision. You know, especially, especially when we're getting tired and we start to daydream, and we just get excited, we get happy, we get passionate about what could be. We get to experience the pleasure of that here and now. It's an amazing feeling. When we dream and daydream, it's like getting an advance on the paycheck that we don't have to pay back. Relationships, and I think with young couples, especially with, with those dating, I think this is probably the best way that it's expressed. Uh, you know, especially that young love. Like Elizabeth and I, when we started dating, there was so much excitement about it because we knew the possibility of where our relationship would go. Both of us were ready to look for someone to settle down with, to get married to, and spend the rest of our lives together. But in the moment, you don't know that, but that's the vision that we both had. And so when we start taking the steps towards that vision, we get to daydream about the possibilities. And as the relationship got more and more serious, the more and more excited we begin to get. Now, we were long distance, and so that's hard sometimes, and you're spending, you know, the time on the phone. I mean, Skype at the time was such a beautiful God-given gift for long-distance couples. And I mean, now it's so easy. Like, I don't even have to go and be in the same room with my wife to see her. We could just be FaceTiming the whole time. It's super easy. You know where you are. You got your phone. You can get unlimited data plans now. Like, it's like pretty soon there's just going to be the hologram out of the phone, and long-distance relationships are going to be super easy. But anyways... At the time, it was easy because we got to be excited. We got to experience the joy of what could be before it actually was. 
the excitement, the joy of, of, of getting together, to starting a family, to, to planning out our lives, and, and what's, what's life going to look like? What are we going to do X, Y, Z, fill in the blank? You know, you know, Gary, why not just date someone local? Well, it was complicated, so. <laughs> Thanks, Judy. It's good to get excited about vision. It's good to get excited and passionate. We probably don't have, if we, if we don't get excited about it, we probably don't have a very good vision. You know, if we have a hard time getting around it and, and back to the relationship, if you really can't find yourself getting excited about spending your life with that person, don't marry them. <laughs> don't, don't pursue it, you know. Go, go for what the right thing is. Now, sometimes it's just fun to get excited. Sometimes it's just fun to, just to let it all out. It's like getting married for the wedding and not for the marriage. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't get excited for this just because, you know, I want to feel good. So I'm going to do it. I'm just going to get myself excited. I'm just going to see what I can do and get myself excited. I saw a number of years ago this video. This guy in the park just starts dancing. Like, not just like, yeah, dude. He's like just all out dancing. And like people are just watching this guy. And like, why is this guy so excited? And next thing you know, one other guy, probably from some youth group, says, hey, guys, watch this. I'm going to go join him. And he runs over, and he starts dancing with this guy. No idea why. Just starts dancing, starts getting excited. People are looking at these two guys dancing in the park. And so three, four, five more guys start running over to this guy, and they start jumping, and they start dancing. And they're just going crazy. And then five, six, seven, eight, ten more guys and, and gals show up. They just start dancing. They have no idea why, but they're getting excited. They're passionate. They're dancing. The guy who started the thing just left. Next thing you know, there's a crowd of people. Someone turns on the ghetto blaster, and they all just start dancing and have a good passion and fun, and they have no idea why they're excited or dancing. That's not passionate vision. That's just passion. Energy burn. Weirdness. Just because the boat looks good doesn't mean you should get on it. Just whatever. That's free. All right, number two, motivation. Vision gives us motivation. Uh, if it provides us emotion, it provides us motivation. The mundane begins to matter. You know, Paul says to the Corinthian church, he says, you're a body of believers. You all have an important part to play in the body. Some of you are the hands, some of you are the feet, some of you are the stinky little baby toe, some of you are the part where all the, the weird smells come from and the armpit, all that. He's like, some of you are those places, but we need all of you to work together. Some of you are the tongue and you don't stop talking and, you know, whatever. So just, and that's not for anyone here in this room, that's just me going. But he says, you're all a part of this body. All of you matter. All of you have purpose. Start working together because there is purpose to what God has called you to do. Just like filling the sandbag. Once you begin to fill that sandbag, the mundane begins to matter. When you get to stand back and you get to stand on top of the dike that you've built and you get to see the floodwaters move on by and you've saved a city. I've never been a part of that, but what an amazing feeling that would be, knowing that all those mundane tasks of, of filling bags, moving bags, and so on and so forth, knowing that it made a difference. They're a motivated group of people. When you start building a dike, trying to save people, trying to save something, there's motivation behind your vision. You know, it's not like the union guys just standing there moving the, the wheelbarrow of sand one pile to the other. You know, I used to hear jokes about that all the time, people, especially people that work for the town, right? They, it must be union, must be time. You know, there's one guy with a shovel and three other guys standing there, right, with the rake. They're not motivated. 
They don't have the vision, and it's usually the intern that's down there, there working. But here's the thing, when, when, when there's vision that actually unites us, we're all in there. We're all in the pit. We all have our shovels in the ground, and we're all turning soil, and dirt, and mud, and cement, and so on, and so forth. Because vision-driven people are motivated people. I see the goal. I want to get there. I'm passionate, so I'm putting my hand to action. I'm motivated. I'm going to get it done. Find someone who lacks motivation, and you probably find that they have a lack of vision. They might have ideas. They might have dreams, but that's all they ever are. How many here know someone that has a good idea every single day, and it's a new idea all the time? No one? Okay, that's fine. Great ideas. You just don't want to put your hand up, and that's okay, because they're probably sitting next to you. I understand. But we all know someone, they have this great idea, and they go from great idea to great idea to great idea, and nothing ever changes. Nothing ever happens, because they really don't have the vision for that idea, and they don't have the motivation to see that vision come to pass. Now, we could get into all the different reasons why we hesitate, uh, but it comes down to this, is we have to have the courage to follow through with our vision. You know, we're going to hit obstacles, we're going to hit barriers, we're going to hit opposition sometimes, but we have to have the courage to pursue and push through all of those different barriers. You know, uh, vision is the reason why someone would complete a college degree. Vision is the reason, you know, there's so much joy when you get to walk across that stage, get to put the degree on the wall and say, look what I did, I, I finally accomplished it and I can start getting into the real world now and come up with something new. But it's an opportunity for us to be motivated. You know, all those long nights writing papers, all those wrong, long nights working on group projects. Here's, here's the thing about group projects. This is what I told my friends in college. I said, when my funeral comes around, I want you guys to be my pallbearer so you can let me down one more time. <laughs> There are some times when you're dragging people along with you and they're just going to let you down because they don't have the vision. And so when it comes to this God-given vision as a church, we need to continually share the vision, share why we're doing what we're doing, what, what, why it matters, and continue to bring people along with that. Otherwise, they're always going to get in the way, they're always going to let us down, and they're always going to try to trip us up. And not everyone's going to want to be on board. And it's not that we leave people behind, but some people just choose to be left behind because they can't get a hold of the vision. They have some sort of fear, some sort of hesitation, something that's blocking, something from their past that's holding them back, whatever the case is. Vision-driven people are motivated people. That's the power of vision. Number three, direction. Uh, how many here have a GPS that you've thrown out of the window before? Because it didn't get you to where you wanted it to go where you wanted, it didn't get you where you wanted it to go. It's even harder to get somewhere if you don't know where you're going. Now some people, my mother would fit in this category, she'd be okay if I said it, she would love to just jump in the car and just begin to drive. Road trip, right, just go. And sometimes there's moments in our life, we need that rest, we need that relaxation, we need to not have a plan, we just need to just go, but there's still a plan to that, not having a plan. I plan to not have a plan, a plan, it's a plan to rest. That's important. 
But overall, in general, we have to have some sort of destination. We have to have a goal. We have to know that we've been successful. We have to have ways to measure that success, which means we need a destination. The simplest decision-making way to, for, for the, the easiest way to make a decision is when you have a destination because it begins to reduce your options. It begins to reduce your options. So my, my wife and I have told you I'd love to go to California sometime. We talked about a road trip and all these kinds of things or figure out how to get there. I'd love to do it one day. Now there's like a hundred different ways that you could get there. But if you have a limited of time, all of a sudden your options are significantly reduced. Well, okay, I can't detour to the Grand Canyon. I can't detour through the lights of Las Vegas. I can't, you know, detour upwards and go and check out uh, Mount Rushmore. If, if we have this much of time and this is our destination. We have to eliminate all of those distractions. Good things, great things, really cool things to see, things that you may be on your list. But if I'm driving to California, my goal is California, and this is how I'm going to get there. And it instantly begins to reduce the distractions. I can't remember his name, but there was a tennis player who had lost an arm. And then maybe he took up tennis afterwards. And he kept winning game after game, match after match, tournament after tournament. And finally, the reporter asked him, he's like, look, all these guys have two hands to use. And you have one hand. How come you keep winning? And he says simply this, they have options and I don't. They have to decide to which hand to use. They have to make that split decision. I only have one option. So motivation, or sorry, vision gives us direction, and direction helps us reduce our options. It helps eliminate the distractions. It helps say, just because we can do something, just because that something might be good, it's not the best thing for us to get to our destination. You know, it's like here, I want to go talk to Chad for a minute, but oh, you know, I want to talk to Judy because who doesn't want to talk to Judy? I want to come see Nancy and, and, and Tyler and Brittany, and I'm sorry, I don't know your name, but we'll get there. Uh, we, I haven't seen, you know, Rachel and, and Patrick, they just came from an amazing vacation. And, and I want to go talk and hear all about that, but by the time I get there, church will be over, Chad will be gone, and I won't get to my destination. So many good things. Notice how I ignored this side of the room. There's a purpose to that. Uh-uh. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm, I'm totally kidding. But vision gives us direction. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else may be good, may be great. It's a distraction. And you might, you know, maybe it's permissible. Maybe it's allowed. It's a distraction. Vision keeps us on the path. It'll prioritize our values. It'll prioritize where we're going. A clear vision has the power to bring out the important to the surface of your schedule, of your lifestyle, of where you spend your money, of how you spend your time. Without vision, good things will hinder you from achieving the best things. The first thing my wife and I do when we go to loosely plan out our yearly calendar, first thing that we do is we plan our family vacation. You're our pastor. You need to be here for us. No, I'm here for my family first. Because if I'm with my family and my family's healthy, our church is healthy. Healthy leaders equal healthy churches and organizations. First thing I do, we have a high value in our life. It's that is our family. Our kids need to know they're loved by mom and dad. Our kids need to be given the skills, the opportunities, and X, Y, Z, fill in the blanks. It's a high value. It's a priority for us. It's part of the destination. They're involved in our destination. My wife and I, we prioritize ourselves over our kids. Our relationship is more important than our relationship with the kids now. Kids are demanding, you know, it's it's tough, especially when they're really little. 
but we make it where we prioritize it. We, we, we make something happen, whether it's a date night, whether it's, it's going away for a few days together. We invest in our marriage because it's part of the destination. It fits in. Now, that doesn't mean we go away all the time because that distracts us from our destination. It begins to eliminate the other bits. It's part of this multifaceted, multi-movement project of vision, right? We prioritize. We have direction. Without vision, people wander from shiny thing to shiny thing, as I like to call it. Whew, something shiny. You know, it's, it looks good, but distracts you. And consequently, it often means that we make foolish decisions, the kind of decisions that ruin our dreams. Now, maybe we've been there, maybe you're there now. There's still hope for you. It's never too late. Finally, number four, purpose. Suddenly, you matter. Vision translates into purpose. I have value. I matter. It's a reason to get up in the morning. If you don't show up, something important won't be accomplished. You matter a lot. Say, I matter. Good, you're still with me. You matter a lot. Without you, what could be and what should be won't be. What could be, what should be, won't be. A vision makes you an important link between the current reality and what is to come in the future. It's an important bridge that takes place. That dynamic gives you purpose. And purpose carries with it the the momentum to move you forward through the barriers that life throws at you. It helps you push through all the things that would try to trip you up and knock you down and slow you down. Your set of visions, believe it or not, are unique to you. You know, we talked last week about how God never creates more than one kind of snowflake, or more than every snowflake is unique. Can't speak properly. Whatever. Yeah, I appreciate that. He doesn't make any two things alike. You know, everyone is unique. Everyone is valuable. Everyone matters. And God's got a purpose and plan for everyone. And it doesn't necessarily look the same. There may be similarities, there may be some overlap, but the vision for your life is your own. God has given you a beautiful uniqueness. He's given you a beautiful purpose. So don't try to be like somebody else. Don't try to do it the way someone else did it. Follow in obedience to the way that God has called you to be. Be the person that God has called you to be, because there's no one else like you. You know, we sang the song with the kids, there's no one like you. That's true, there's no one like our God. There's no one greater than our God. There's no one more holy than our God. And yet that God of holiness, that God is, that is so separate from us, set apart from us, so holy, so different than all of us, he's like, just because I'm so big and mighty and powerful and holy, I actually want to know you. And so he's built this bridge for us, and we call that bridge Jesus. He's built that way for us. Because then he says, look, I have formed you in your mother's womb. You're intricately woven, marked by me. You're my child. I created you. I love you. I have a plan for your life, and it's different than your brother, than your sister, than your friend. It's even different than your spouse. The vision you have is unique to you. And this uniqueness gives your life purpose. Because if someone else had the same vision, if someone else was just like you, you could just sit back and let them live it out. And sometimes that's what we just want to do. You make the decision for me, okay? I'm just going to sit here. Honey, where do you want to go to eat? You decide. 
You know, the vision is that we're going to have dinner tonight. You decide. Now, some of us, we do that man out of wisdom, and that's good. Sometimes we let other people make decisions for us because we start to get tired, we start to get worn out, we start to get lazy, we start to get complacent. We begin to lose the vision that we had. It begins to help us start giving up. Vision gives us purpose. It gives us a reason to get up in the morning. Now let's get to the good stuff. The Bible stuff. I said we're going to read the Bible. Ephesians 2.20 says this. You can go there if you want in your Bibles. Ephesians 2.20. You might know the verse off by heart. Kind of alluded to it already. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand so that we would walk in them. This is not just another self-help talk. I mean, if you want to feel better about your life, you can get all kinds of books that will help you. You can get all kinds of reasons. You can listen to a podcast. You can watch a YouTube video. You can probably just watch Oprah or something or Ellen or whatever show you want. And, you know, and bring, bring you a little bit of joy and whatever. This, what we're talking about this morning is, is slightly different and I would say extraordinarily better. Because this, this purpose that we have, this vision for we have for our life actually isn't our own. It's actually not from us. It's not something that we come up with. It's not something that we can manufacture on our own. You know, people are looking for hope all the time. They're looking for a way to improve their lives, to improve their situations, to do this and to do that. You know, and, and, and the world tells you just, just more money, newer car, bigger house, more stuff. Especially in North America, we just love our stuff. We love buying all the stuff. Amazon is amazing. You buy, you buy all this cheap stuff, you get whatever you want, and when it comes, it makes you so happy, and then it sits on your counter for a month because you, didn't, you just wanted the joy of actually opening mail. I'm, I'm speaking from experience here. I love Amazon. I've started returning things to Amazon because it doesn't bring me joy. There's no option when you return. Why did you return? It doesn't bring me joy. There's no option. That means you've got to pay the shipping to return it. So then you have to lie and say it was defective. Or it wasn't what you said it was. I don't do that. I'm just... I'm not speaking from experience now. I'm just... The average person has the right to dream. The average person can come up and manufacture whatever they want. But those who have made a decision to follow Jesus have sworn an allegiance to him. That's a pretty intense word, sworn an allegiance to him. Which simply means this, my life is not my own. Sound familiar? I think we sang it this morning. My life is not my own. We lost that right. We left it at the cross. When we, when we came to Jesus and we laid down our burdens and we laid down our sin, when we repented and turned from our old selves to take on the new life that he offers, we lost the right to dream about ourselves. And we begin to dream about the things that God wants for our lives. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. 
Honoring God involves discovering the picture, the vision of what he has for our lives. And honestly, if God is so awesome, if God is so cool, if God is so amazing that we sing about, we talk about, we, we share about, if God really is that good, why would I want the plans that I could come? I'm just, I'm just a man. Why would I not want the plans of God in my life? Why would I not want God's vision for my life if he is who I said he is? And until we discover his purpose for us and follow through, there will always be a hole in our soul. I wasn't supposed to rhyme, but it did. There's always be a hole, something missing in our lives, something missing in our hearts. We'll always lack that little bit of motivation. We'll always lack that little bit of purpose. We'll always lack that determination. We'll always lack destination unless we get that God-given vision. I am his workmanship. He created me. He created me for purpose so that we would walk in the things that he created us to do. His vision for you is not complete. You only have a part. The next phrase that we envisioned to be crafted for a particular purpose, and that purpose is to do good works which God has enabled us and envisioned us to do. We don't get to decide how to use our talents, our abilities, experiences, opportunities, education, and run off and to decide to do whatever we please. It's an option before us. Just because we can do it doesn't mean we should do it. Why would we want to do anything different than what God wants for our lives? Why would you want to do anything different? Anything different is simply a lie from the enemy. Anything that takes you away is simply a lie from the enemy. Aside from eternity, missing out on God's plan for your life has to be one of the most depressing, one of the most saddest, greatest tragedies in a person's life. Missing out on what God has for you. This world, believe it or not, has a lot that you can do. This world has a lot to offer. There's a lot that you can pursue. But you are tailor-made. You're carefully crafted. You are you're just far above all of those things. The purpose that God gives us for following Jesus is far above anything that we can do on our own. God-sized visions take us beyond the accumulation of wealth, takes us beyond getting more stuff. And, and, and yeah, those are visions that people have, those are dreams that people have, and they make themselves successful, but they'll always be left wondering if there was more, wondering what they could have done, what they should have done with their brief stay on this ball of dirt. We serve an intensely creative God. And he wants to do some intensely creative things through us. We just continue to be the people that he's called us to be. To seek first his kingdom. To be the people that God has called us to be. You know, God didn't just come for a moment in our lives. You know, I met God, it felt good in that moment, and that was it. He was gone. He didn't just come for the moment. He came for eternity. You want a good example of God-given vision without a God miracle? Read the book of Nehemiah. I like miracles. They're pretty cool when God does a miracle. It's, it's unbelievable. But those are moments. They don't sustain. Otherwise, we just try to go moment, living moment to moment, miracle to miracle. Look at the book of Nehemiah, an incredible building project. You could go back and listen to the sermon from two years ago. We did a series on it. But here's a guy who had a God-given vision for his people, for his land. 
He got people involved in that vision and he never lost heart. He was motivated. He got it done. He was determined. He was passionate. Nothing distracted. Distractions came his way. And yet every single time, now there was divine intervention behind the scenes. There's no doubt. But unlike Moses, you know, he just walks up to the, to the river and part sea, rivers are the Red Sea open, you know, incredible miracles. Joshua just walked around the building. It fell down, you know, <laughs> make it sound like it's not a big deal. It's pretty cool. But Nehemiah, day in, day out, he works hard and he works hard and then he begins to work harder. He gets more and more passionate. He's motivated. He's determined. He knows his purpose. And then you see God just do an incredible work through him. Imagine what could happen if we all did the same thing, pursuing God with the same tenacity and courage as Nehemiah. As a church family, I just, I'm just believing that God is going to continue to call us not what could be, but what should be. He'll allow us to move on from what is. But not that what is is bad, but I just know that God's got something more for Terrace Bay. God's got something more for Scriber. God's got something more for the North Shore. And he's sending us globally, which means he's got something more for us. So I don't want to stay in what, what is. I want to be in what should be. Hindsight is twenty twenty. I don't want to stand up here next year, 2021, and say, well, we almost did it. <laughs> we almost got there. I believe God wants to take us somewhere. God wants to take you somewhere. It's said that we can overestimate what we can accomplish in one year and underestimate what we can accomplish in five or ten. You know, vision, it's long term. God's in it for the long haul. You know, he gave prophecies and we're still waiting for some thousands of years later to come through. We got time. And yet we have no time. Let's pray this morning. Dear God, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that we get to know you, that we, we don't have to live this life on our own apart from you, Jesus. I thank you that we have the hope of world, we have the hope of eternity, and God, I pray that you would begin to speak to our hearts or continue to speak to our hearts as we go from this place, O oh Lord, that we would put ourselves in the right posture to receive from you, Lord, a vision. Not just a man-sized vision, but a God-sized vision. Not just something that we come up with on our own, but something that we clearly hear from heaven. Lord, I believe in the prayer that Jesus prayed, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I believe that you want to give us heavenly dreams to see happen here on this earth. Lord, we just finished the Christmas season. We talked about how heaven came down, Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, heaven came to earth. And so, Lord, we want to see heavenly things take place among us here. Lord, we want to move beyond what is to what should be and even what could be, oh Lord. Lord, you've called us to be your hands, to be your feet. Lord, you've filled us with your Holy Spirit. You've inspired us. Lord, you give us the passion, the energy, the motivation that we need, the determination. And Lord, you've given us the destination. Lord, you've given us the, the mission. Go into all the world and make disciples. Lord, would you give us the courage to follow through? Would you give us the courage, O oh Lord, to seek first your kingdom, to seek first the things of God? Lord, everything else is a distraction. Would you help us, O oh Lord, face those distractions, to lay those things aside? Lord, would you bring us closer together as a church family so we could help one another, encourage one another? Lord, that we would find you, O oh God. 
that we would continue to find your purpose, to continue to find our destination. I thank you so much for every person in this room, in this building today, for all of our kids. Oh, Lord, we thank you for each and every one of them. Would you begin to inspire them, Lord, of what could be and what should be? Lord, for those who are away today, who can't be here on this Sunday, for those who are ill, Lord, I think of, of Dave, who's at home today, Dave Anderson, oh God, and I, I pray that you would just touch his body, Lord, that uh, you would give him the strength, Lord, you would take away any pain so that he could be here with us, oh Lord. Lord, for all those who are hurting, who are broken, oh God, who have a physical barrier, Lord, a physical or even a mental or spiritual barrier, O oh God, that is holding them back from experiencing what you have for them. I pray that those would be lost in Jesus' name. I pray that those would be taken away in Jesus' name. For those of us who need a little bit more courage to take that first step or take the next step, God, I pray that you would just give us the opportunity now, this week, Lord, as we seek you. Lord, give us the moments to pray. Give us the moments to dig into your word. Give us the moments to call one another up and to help one another, O oh God. Find our God, give him purpose and vision. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.